I want to draw your attention to verse 6 of Psalms 89. It says, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? And what I want to talk about tonight, I want to talk about the Trinity, and the, the title of it is, Who Can Be Compared? And what kind of what inspired this message and got me really thinking on this subject, you know, one thing that I... You know, I like to do, I probably shouldn't do this type of thing, but you know, I, I like talking to people and I like having conversations with people who disagree with me. And you know, me, I'm not afraid of scrutiny. I'm not afraid of being interviewed by people. I've talked to atheists and Calvinists and all kinds of different groups and uh, even just known enemies. I'm fine with talking with people and, you know, hashing these things out. I mean, I had to sit down with Sam Gipp. You know, and that didn't go very well. Uh, but you know, when you when you talk to scorners, it can get bad sometimes. But I um, I had a long conversation with a fellow who is a known accuser of the brethren. I mean, who hates me? He hates churches like ours. He hates what we teach. And you know, and he wanted to talk with me, and I let him talk with me. And then he, you know, he wanted to ask me questions. I'm thinking he's wanting to ask me questions about me and my beliefs. But most of his questions were. Pastor Anderson says, and you know this, you know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, just dumb questions like that. But we started talking about the Trinity, and so he was. He started saying, Pastor Anderson says this about the Trinity. You know what? What do you? And, and you know, and I and I'm trying to like explain, you know, my position on the Trinity. And here's my position on the Trinity: is that you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are all God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is not the Father. I believe that these three are one. Okay. Now, here's what happens though when you have this discussion. Okay. That's a you know. Let's just admit that's a tough thing to comprehend around our mind, isn't it? Hence, this verse: Who can be compared? That we see. But you know, often what do we try to do? We try to illustrate it. And you know, there is no perfect illustration. For God. You know why? Because who in the heaven can be compared to our God? You know, what, what is there that is like our God? There isn't anything that is like our God. So often in trying to compare, if you're talking to an accuser, that it's real easy for them to maybe take your comparison and then twist it to make it mean something else. And often, too, in the past, when we've been preaching about the Trinity, you know, whenever the oneness crowd was like, you know, scrutinizing everything, you know, they would they would like all, they like to ask you these tricky questions. And then when you give an answer, they go and interpret it into something else. Oh, well, if you're saying this about God, you know, then you're, and you try and then, and then this accuser that's talking to me, he tried to accuse me in my position because maybe I didn't word something the best way possible of tritheism. Like I believe in three gods. And I just finally told him, I said, listen, I said, I'm pretty sure me and you are on the same page when it comes to the Trinity. But, you know, you're asking me to just put something into words that you just you can't really put into words. You know, what, what do you compare to God? And here's the thing that I want you all to realize, too. Just because somebody uses maybe a bad comparison, maybe they use bad terminology, doesn't mean they're preaching heresy. You know what they're trying to do? They're just trying to express an inexpressible God. So you got to cut some people some slack on some things. But accusers, you know, there's this, you know, you, when you have an investigative journalist who has already decided, I'm going to investigate these people and prove that they're heretics and scumbags and crooks. You know, when they've already decided the conclusion before looking at the facts, before they've even investigated the facts, they're going to see things the wrong way. And that's kind of how this guy is. He's already decided I'm scum. And so what's funny is after I talked to them about this, he, st he went and he's leaving comments talking about how I believe tritheism and stuff. And I'm thinking, you moron. It, it's just, it's dishonest. That's how, that's how these people are. Well, you, know, you said this and therefore you think this. It's like, no, I don't. That's, that's not how I think at all. And, you know, when he was trying to say, do you believe that God... Is, you know, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost all have three different bodies or three different essences. And I'm like, you know, define essence for me. 
You know, define, you know, define that for me. Because I do know this. The Son didn't send the Father. The Father sent the Son. I know this, that Jesus Christ left this earth, and I am waiting for His return, yet Jesus Christ is with me through the Holy Spirit. Okay? I mean, now, how that all works, I don't really know how to explain that. But, you know, I think that's what most people believe when it comes to the Trinity. I think most of us would agree on that. And so if somebody comes along and they maybe use a term or a comparison that's not very good, then, you know what, that doesn't make them a heretic. They're trying to describe something that is indescribable. That is our God that we have. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, we live in a wicked world where there's just more and more unsaved people in church. There's more and more unsaved people standing behind pulpits. And so we are seeing this more, you know, this teaching of a oneness type God being pushed more and more in all religions. But even in Christian religions, we're seeing that even among so-called Baptists wanting to teach a oneness theology. And the Trinity, it's been a fundamental of the faith, you know, since the time of Christ. It's one that's always been understood, but you know what? It's always been attacked, too, and it always will be. And you know why? It's because it can't be fully comprehended. You all understand that? And it especially, the Trinity cannot be fully comprehended. God cannot be fully comprehended in the carnal mind. The carnal mind is never going to be able to understand that because the carnal mind cannot understand the spiritual. It can't get that. And you all understand that God, You know, when it comes to God... He is a spirit. Y'all understand Jesus Christ, he was a full-blown man in the flesh while at the same time being God. And it's like people can get that. They can get, they can understand, they can comprehend a man. But when it comes to that which is spiritual, they can't comprehend that. A lost person can't do that. So what do they do in their minds? They do like the reprobate does and they just create a God in their own image. And, you know, they come and they make him like unto man, like unto four footed beast and creeping things like it talks about in Romans one. They try to make God into something they can comprehend. That's why people make idols. Why? Because they can form that idol into the image that they want. And it's an image that they understand. It's an image that was in their mind, something that they're able to comprehend. But, you know, what? our God told us not to make any graven image, not to make any likeness of him. You know why? Because none of it can do justice. Why didn't God, if God wanted us to know what he looked like and what, you know, exactly what he was like, why didn't God just go ahead and tell Moses how to make an image of it? You know why? Because you can't make an image of that. You can't make an image that does justice to who God is and what God is. And so when it comes to God and when it comes to the Trinity, it is something that is going to require faith. It's going to require faith to believe it, but the carnal mind will not accept that. Therefore, they will not accept the Trinity, and they will continue pushing more of a oneness God that brings God down to their level and into their image. That's what they, that's what they want to look at. And this accuser of the brethren I'm talking about, I believe he believes in the Trinity. I think he's probably right on the Trinity from, from what he was telling me. I mean, we're, we're kind of talking back and forth about it. I'm, I'm hearing what he has to say, asking him a couple questions on it. I'm like, yeah, you're solid on the Trinity. But then with me, I'm, I, th- I thought we were agreeing, but apparently I'm a tritheist. Why? Because he needs me to be a tritheist. You know why Tyler Baker and his cronies want to accuse us of polytheism? Because they need us to be polytheists. That's why. It's, that it's not based on the facts or anything we're actually saying. It's based on their view of God in their distorted carnal mind that is absent of faith. That's why they do things like that. So even though the Trinity is spelled out in scriptures, there is a reason it's difficult to under, un, it's difficult to explain and understand. Let's look at a few verses on this. Of course, First John five seven. You can't talk about the Trinity without going to this verse. It says, "For there are three that bear record: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one." If anybody ever tries to tell you it's heresy to say they are three, First John five seven is where we get that from. It says these three are one. Well, you know that's not three. You know that sounds like three gods to me. Well, not if God said these three are one. You can try to say it's three all you want. God said it's one. Uh, three. Uh, you're trying to figure out your carnal mind. 
Okay, why don't you just believe it by faith? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.1, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, one thing that this accuser asked me about, too, he was asking me if I believe that the, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all have their own individual soul, body, and spirit. Because individual soul, body, and spirit would mean three gods, apparently. Well, here's the thing with that. That's what I told him. Now, I don't understand this, but I don't, I don't, I, in my mind, okay, and what, don't accuse me of heresy. I'm trying to talk about something that's indescribable. Okay, but I do believe that Jesus Christ was a man just like us that had a body, soul, and a spirit all of his own. I believe that. Well, you know, do you believe he had the same kind of body in eternity past? Well, I don't know. I don't know what a heavenly body is like. I don't know what my body is going to be like when I'm raptured. Y'all understand that? But I do believe that this that new body that I get is going to, in a sense, be this body too. It's just going to be a changed body. Okay, the new body is really this body transformed and changed. Now, don't ask me to explain that to you. But where, where do you get that from? I get it from First Corinthians fifteen. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, it's trying to compare it. And it's talking about how when you sow a seed, it goes in like one body, but it comes out as something else. And what it comes out is something more glorious. But it was from that original seed. Do you all understand that? Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, it, and the Bible talks about how our body, it is sown a natural body, but it's going to be raised in a spiritual body. And what we're going to be transformed into is going to be better than what we have here right now. But... What is here right now is going to be a part of what is in the future. Because God's going to resurrect this body. Okay? But I don't know how that's all going to work. I don't know what it's going to look like. I believe that the body that we're going to be resurrected in is going to be like the body that Jesus Christ had after his resurrection. That's what I, that's what I believe. Now, this is my opinion. Okay? I personally think that in eternity past, Jesus had a body, probably, like the one he resurrected in. Because we know he, there were times he came to earth, you know, he talked with Abraham, you know, he, he appeared many times on, on this earth. I personally believe that Jesus Christ, on his own, became a man like us, died, rose again, and into that body like we're going to have one of these days. But here's the thing that's neat about that. Jesus Christ did that all on his own. You know, and of course, through the help of the Father and Spirit, they were all involved in that. You and I, when it comes to us getting that body like Christ, it's going to have nothing to do with what we do. He's going to do it to us. He's going to do it for us. Therefore, when we have that new body, you know who's going to get all the glory for that? Jesus Christ is going to get all the glory for that. We're not going to get it. Jesus achieved that new and that heavenly body on his own, whereas us, he's got to do it for us. So that's just my opinion, though, about the eternity past. Okay, but don't ask me to explain eternity past either. Don't expect, don't ask me to explain eternity. That that's beyond our comprehension. You know, it's it's one thing to imagine eternity forward, but eternity backward, folks, we don't understand that. But we do accept it by faith. We believe that. We have that eternal life. And so notice, though, in this in Hebrews 1, 3, it says when he had by himself purged our sins, talking about Jesus, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So understand, we see multiple times in the Bible where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So if somebody comes along and says that God the Father has a body, well, is it, here's the thing, is it made out of the same thing that Jesus' body is made out of? I don't know. Don't ask me to describe the physical makeup of something that is spiritual. I can't do that, can I? 
You know, the Bible says when Jesus Christ was baptized, you know, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and lighted upon him. What was that made out of? Somebody tell me. Hey, you can't you can't tell me that you don't know. You know why? Because we don't have anything on this earth to compare to God. There's nothing. But I believe all these things I'm reading. I believe that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the father. Therefore, meaning if Jesus is at the right hand of the father, that means if you're looking at it, okay, if, if we're if we're looking, you've got, you know, God on the left, the father and Jesus Christ at his right hand. Okay, meaning, you know, it's not Jesus, you know, and God, the father, on the left hand, you see, there's a difference. Okay. There's a difference. And if it's two people sitting next to each other, don't they have to have both have an image? Don't they both have to have a body? But what is that made of? I have no idea. Don't ask me what a spirit's made out of. I have no idea. But do I believe in a spirit? You better do. You better believe I believe in a spirit. You know, do I believe I have a spirit? I sure do. Do do I believe I have a soul? I sure do. Where is it? What does it look like? If you cut me open, will you be able to find it? Where would you find it? You know, what does it look like? I don't know any of that stuff, but I believe it. And how do I believe it? I believe it by faith. I believe all of that by faith. So you've got people too. They're trying to explain. They're so desperate to teach us oneness doctrine. You know, they'll look at the throne. Well, I only see one throne. Therefore, only one person can be seated on it. But the Bible says... That Jesus is seated at the right hand. So there's clearly a difference there that the Bible points out. And I believe in that difference. And I don't need to twist the scriptures to try to fit my oneness God and to fit God into an image that's in my mind. I don't have to do that. Verse 8 of Hebrews says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, right there's a verse, too, that proves that Jesus is God. I mean, it, it calls him God. So, talking about the Son, says, Thy throne, O God. So, uh, and, and that's not the only place. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You know what that tells me? That tells me that if the word was God and the word was with God to be with someone, don't there have to be more than one? You know, sir, where were you on the night of you know June 12th, 1992? Is that when it was? When OJ killed his wife. All right. Where were you? I was with somebody. Do you have, do you have, you know, who who was it? So we can see if, you know, your alibi checks out. I was with myself. (laughs) You know, and I can, I can vouch for myself (laughs) that I was there at that time. And therefore I am not guilty. Is that going to hold up in a court of law? Okay. Now it would, if I was up against a oneness, if I had a oneness judge and a oneness jury and things like that, but that doesn't even make sense. The word was with God. So, and then all the Bible says, all things were made by him talking about the word of Jesus Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. And it goes on later. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If the word was God and became flesh and dwelt among us, you know what that means? It means God dwelt with us. Hence the name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So there's no doubt there's and you know, and oneness people will admit that Jesus is God. They will, they will admit that they just deny the distinction between the father and the son. They deny, they, they want to deny the three, even though Bible says the word was with God. Genesis one twenty six, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle. And overall, everything creep, creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created him. Now, so notice how it says, God said, let us. Okay. Now, unless, you know, that's pretty, that, I mean, right there implies right in the beginning of the Bible that there is a, you know, a trinity there. 
There, there's no doubt that God said, let us make man in our image. But then notice it says, so God created man in his own image. Now it looks like we're back to just singular. Now, why is that? Well, I'll tell you why, because these three are one. And we are also read how Jesus Christ is the express image of his person referring to the father. So if man was made in the image of Christ, then he's also in the image of the father too. Because they have the same image. They have the same look. Okay. Now, again, you know, I, I keep saying, don't ask me to describe the physical makeup. You realize that's a stupid thing to say, too, because God is more than just the physical. Okay. The, a spirit is not physical. Things, you know, those things are not physical. The physical, all right, the, you know, the, the, everything that we see, everything we know, it is all a creation of God. God made this universe out of nothing. So everything that we know, everything that we would try to compare to God is all physical because that's all we're capable of. Know that's all we have the comprehension of knowing is the physical. But God is more than just the physical. God is the spiritual God. He, he's something that is, is far beyond that. He is something we cannot fully comprehend. And that's something that we all have to admit. We cannot, there's some things about God we just cannot comprehend. So when you try to explain or illustrate the Trinity, it's going to be very easy for you to get in trouble because of the fact that there is nothing to compare God to that will do justice. And so even things that I say tonight, it's going to be real easy for, you know, some of these accusers that are out there to just take something I say and then just make it mean something. And you know what? That's fine. I'm getting used to that. Okay. The Calvinists are, man, they're going after me right now like crazy. They're hating my tulip series that I'm doing. And man, the videos, man, they're just getting racked up. And you know what? I hate to admit this, where they're probably going to see it. I love it. All right. I love it. I, I, I enjoy it. I got to listen to the first, uh, we listened just like the first minute of the redneck Calvinist that I went after today. And oh man, he's mad. He's mad. The accuser that I'm talking about, he's already leaving comments. I mean, these people are blowing their tops and I love it. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you right now. I teach a lot of these things I like that I do, you know, to help you to, you know, protect you against false doctrine. But you know, on the radio program, I do that sometimes. You know, I try to keep what I preach in the pulpit for you all. You know, I want to help you all. Okay, but some of the stuff I do on the radio, that's for the internet, and that's just sometimes just to get some people's goat. I got to have an outlet like that, all right? I get a lot of attacks. I get a lot of stuff coming my way. I got to have a place to just kind of go and just take some pokes at these people sometimes, and I'm, and that's where I've been doing it. And these people have satisfied me greatly. With all, and, and I haven't even had time to watch all the videos yet. You know, the accuser that I'm, I keep referring to, Tuttle, you know, he just, uh, he tried leaving a link to another video that supposedly proves that I was wrong about, um, you know, about the response that I've been getting. I didn't even know about this guy. I hadn't seen this one yet. I'm like, all right, another one. All right, and I said in the one video, all right, he's not a very good investigator. I said in the video, I haven't watched all the videos that are out there. I said, there's a bunch now. I haven't seen them all. So, you know, it, it, he's, he's, he's missing the facts again. But I, I, just, I've lost, I don't have time to just watch all the negative stuff. But it does make me feel good to just see it and know it's out there. And because I don't like Calvinists. <laughs> I just, I, I don't like the doctrine. I don't, I hate the doctrine and I don't hate them, but I don't like them. I don't like them. I think there's some out there that are genuinely deceived and, you know, are, are not reprobate, but, um, and I, I don't hate those people, but I do hope to reach some of them. I really, and, and the ones that are just idiots, I hope to make their heads explode and just drive them crazy. And I love it. That one of my radio programs, I mean, it's getting like five video series that they're having to do. So just try to, you know, fix all the damage that I'm apparently doing in their world. So it's very satisfying. But, you know, understand, you know, there, you know, there's going to be the criticism. There's going to be the people that are going to try to twist what you believe. They're going to tell you things that you think that you never even thought. And all of it comes down to we're just trying to. It's okay for us to talk about God and to meditate on these things and think about them. Because that's what happened to me when I talked to this guy and he's bringing all these things up. You know, I got to think about it. I was like, you know, 
I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, like, Lord, what is a good way to illustrate? I mean, I have sat and I've racked my brain before. What would be the best illustration I could use to explain the Trinity? I have, I've racked my brain on it before, and I just didn't, never really came up with anything good. I racked my brain on it again. It was like the Lord finally gave me this verse about, you know, who can be compared. He basically told me, you're looking to illustrate something that cannot be illustrated. You're looking to help people comprehend something that can't be comprehended. He's God. He is above that. He's above us. But what we do need to do is accept by faith what the Bible teaches us. And the Bible teaches that there is a Father, there is a Son, there is a Spirit, and these three are one, and so that's what we're going to keep teaching. And, you know, these carnal molas can go jump in a lake of fire. That's the way I feel about it. So things we've got to understand about God when explaining God first is that nothing can be compared to Him. We read Psalms 89, but Exodus 15 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Hey, I want to talk about you, God. I want to tell the people about you. They're familiar with the gods of Egypt, but none of them compare to you. You know, all they understand is that. But boy, you, your, your might, your, the wonder of you. Who can be, you know, who is like unto thee, O Lord? There's no one. That's the answer to that question. Psalm 71, 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? You want to know the answer to that question? No one. No one is like our God. Psalms 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who hath set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, folks, don't let this message stop you from meditating on God and meditating on the Trinity and trying to wrap your mind around it and trying to understand it. Don't let it discourage you from studying these things. You know what you need to do? You need to study these things. You need to look in the Scriptures. You need to meditate on these things because you know what's going to make you do? It's going to cause you to just think about God and just say, Wow! Lord, why do you even pay attention to me? Instead of like some people have this attitude, I don't believe in God because He didn't answer all my prayers. I don't believe in God because what kind of God would let the coronavirus go and just wipe out our nation like He's doing right now? You know what? If we would actually meditate on God and think about God, if we'd actually consider the heavens, if we consider the work of His hands, we'd say, Lord, why are you even giving us the time of day? Lord, why would you have sent your Son to come and visit us and to die for us? Why would you do that? We are nothing compared to you. That's what would happen if we would start thinking about God. And it's okay. I'm not telling you to go out and argue with a bunch of just accusers that are just and a bunch of scorners. Just a bunch. And I'm not telling you to go cast your pearls before swine, which is maybe what I did the other day. I'm not telling you to do that, but I am telling you, you know what? Keep talking about it. Keep thinking about it. You know, go ahead and keep trying to, in your mind, Figure out a way to compare it because all it's going to do is it's going to cause God to blow your mind. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So go ahead and keep doing it. That's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist, the way he wrote, he's just writing. This is just his way of expressing his wonder in God. He's like, you know what? I'm going to write a song. And this thing, man, this, you know, every songwriter, they want to write that song that just does, you know, gives that message that does justice to whatever's in their heart. And David, I imagine many times, who was the sweet psalmist of Israel, decided, you know what, I'm going to get the psalm this time. I'm going to give something that's a praise to God, but it always turned into, Lord, who is like unto you? You know, I, I can't comprehend you. His song was basically, I can't even write a song about you. That's how, that's how great you are. And you know what? Turned out, that's turned out to be a really good song. That's a great song. And I, I like, I like those psalms. And they do. They, they cause us to wonder at God. But you see how this oneness teaching, it is, it's bringing God down to our level. They want to put God 
in you know a body, soul, and spirit like we like us, something that we can see, something that they can understand and comprehend, instead of just believing what the Bible says and just by faith accepting it, even though He is high above us. He set His glory above the heavens. You know what? Go explain that one to me. What does it mean above the heavens? When you look at this universe, how how do you get above that? You know, I I can't comprehend that. But, you know, know, and, you know, you've got people out there that, you know, they talk about how heaven is in outer space somewhere. I I don't believe that. Okay. I I don't believe it's that far away in miles, but at the same time, it might as well be because we can't get there. You know, with a spaceship or an airplane. And, and it asked me to, to explain where it is. I can't. It's in eternity. I can't explain eternity. So, you know, I'm going to try to give illustrations. You know, so if you want to say, if you want to sing songs like somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust me. You know, if you want to sing a song like that, you know, I'm not going to call you a heretic because you think heaven's in outer space. I'm not going to call you a heretic for that. You know, you're just trying to say it's way out there somewhere. And the Bible alludes to that when it's talking about how he set his glory above the heavens. You know what he, the psalmist is saying there? He's just saying this is it's something we can't get to is what he's saying. But I, I don't I don't know how to understand that. I, I can't. It's a it's above me, like the Bible says. So we need to understand, too, we're not even capable of understanding God's dwelling place. We're not capable of understanding that. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You want me to illustrate where heaven is? I can't. It's in eternity. I can't illustrate eternity. I can only give you physical illustrations. That's all I can do. I can't illustrate something that's eternal, but you know what? The Bible says our God inhabits eternity, and I believe that. That's where he's at. And but you know what else the Bible teaches? He indwells us too. How does that work? I don't know either. You know we can't cut ourselves open and find him there. We talk about him being in our heart. But, you know, that's just kind of another illustration, just that he you know, is at the center of us. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, these are spiritual things. These are things that are above us. These are things that we accept by faith. The Bible says in the first Timothy six fifteen, which in times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and Lord of lords, talking about Jesus Christ, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. You know what that's saying about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, He's dwelling in that light that no man can approach to. What what does that mean? Well, we see in the Old Testament that when God came down to this earth, remember in Deuteronomy 18 how God came down to the mountain, the mountain shook. Remember how when Moses just saw the back parts of God, God said, I'm going to let all my glory pass before thee. He, he saw the back parts. And just after that, the glow that came from Moses' face, the people of Israel couldn't even look at him. The light, just the reflection that was left over on Moses' face after seeing the back parts of the glory of God, sinful man couldn't even look at it. But you know what? Jesus Christ dwells in that light. Think about that for a minute. Showing how high above us that he is, showing his holiness. You know why Israel couldn't look at that light? Because it was too holy for them. They were too sinful, but Jesus Christ dwells in that light that no man can approach unto, who no man hath seen nor can see. It doesn't mean nobody's ever seen Jesus like some have tried to teach. That's not what that's saying. It's saying he's dwelling in the light that we haven't seen. You haven't seen that light. You better believe you haven't seen that light. We couldn't see it. It would kill us, but Jesus Christ dwells in it. What kind of light would that be? Well, let let me give you one of my big, you know spotlights that I, you know, shine on deer and things and you know show you how bright that is. I can't use that as an illustration. 
That's not going to work. You know, there, there, there's nothing that we have. Be, you know, we can talk about, oh, it's like the sun. Okay, why, why we? Because that's the brightest light we know about. You know, we're just using a comparison, but do you think that does it justice? Because I've seen the light from the sun. I've looked at that light. So it's obviously, that doesn't do it justice either. But look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. See, because man, mankind cannot even ha- handle the presence and the voice of God. And this is why God had to come to earth as a man. It says in Deuteronomy 18:15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, and of thy brethren like unto me, him unto him shall ye hearken. That's talking about Jesus. And it says, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not. Now, I'd like to think that if I was there when God came down on that mountain, I'd like to think I'd have been like all over that. I know you weren't allowed to go touch the foot of the mountain, but I'd like to think I'd have gotten as close as I could. But that's not what they did. And it's probably not what we would do either. I'd like to think that I wouldn't have wanted Moses to put a veil over his face. I'd like to think that I'd like to see the light in that situation. But chances are, I probably wouldn't like it either. So when they heard, when they saw that, when they heard these things, it was their request. They they told Moses, please don't let that happen again. In verse 17, the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And you know who that was? That was Jesus Christ and he came. You know why? Because man couldn't handle hearing the voice of God, seeing the light of God. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? Because it was all we were capable of handling. It was all we could handle. And Jesus Christ went and achieved everything for us that needed to be achieved so we could still have salvation and have a glorified body someday so we would actually one day be able to behold the face of the Father. He had to send His Son, Jesus, to do that and thank God for that. And that's why in Hebrews 1.1, it says, God, who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past by the fathers, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. God tried to speak to them with his voice, but they couldn't handle it. So you know what he did? He spoke to them by his son's voice. But you know whose words Jesus spoke? It was his father's words. He didn't come to speak his own words. He didn't come to do his own will. His, and it's like, you know, they, if, if you start saying they have different wills, they accuse you of tritheism and stuff. But how in the world... Can you not do your own will, but the will of him that sent me, and it not be two different wills? It's two different wills, folks. That's what the Bible says, and they're just going to have to get over it. And I don't know, maybe the problem is they can only count to one. And it gets complicated after you start getting to two and three. But, you know, that's what the Bible says. You know, this Tuttle guy, he was like, Pastor Anderson says that Jesus has seven spirits. Well, you know, the Bible does talk about the seven spirits of God. Now, don't ask me to explain that either. But if the Bible says, you know, they talk about the seven spirits of God, you better believe I'm going to believe it. But I I don't have to understand it all. Is it? I mean, why are people so bothered by just plain scripture? Because they're trying to make a God into their own image or not even their personal image of themselves but an image that they like, an image that's easier for them to understand. I'm fine with not being able to comprehend some things about God, seeing David couldn't comprehend some things about God. I'm fine with that. I get it that there's some things about God that he's not going to be able to reveal to us. Listen, if man couldn't handle hearing the voice of God, seeing the light of God, then how in the world is God supposed to show us what he is, what he looks like, We can't handle it. We'd be dead. It would kill us in our sin if that happened. 
He's going to reveal himself, though, in time, but it's going to be after we've been glorified. But in the meantime, I'm okay with just saying, you know what? I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it, but I believe it. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'll figure it out one of these days when I know him as I have known of him. But that's not, that day is not today. So we got to understand the very presence, his very presence that is with us right now is something that we believe by faith. Look at what it says in Psalms 139. Psalms 139. It says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my past and path of my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain unto it. He's like, Lord, you know everything about me. And Lord, what you know about me is so great. It's so impressive. I can't even understand it. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. You know what he's saying? Lord, I can't even get away from your presence. Well, here's the thing. Prove His presence to me right now. You know, let me see the physical evidence. All right, if God's here, you know, make this songbook fly float around right now. You know, you know. Hey, we don't go ordering God around. But you know, and if I may get on the camp meeting crowd a little bit, oh, we'll prove the presence of God. We're going to have us a prayer meeting right now, and we're going to pray down the power of God. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to pray until the room starts to shake. Until, you know, and then, you know, and that never happens. They never get the mighty rushing wind, the cloven tongues of fire. So you know what they substitute it with? A bunch of fat guys doing laps around the auditorium. Hey, we saw a move of God today. You know, we, we, saw, you know, we saw Sister Gertrude crying at the altar again. The piano player started screaming. You know, you know, Brother so-and-so, he just had a fit during the service when he heard that music. Man, the presence of God is real. We saw proof of it today. Sorry, folks. That's not how that works. That's not how that, that, that's not how that works. Everything that David's talking about here, these are things he believes by faith. This is something he knows. It's something that he feels in his heart. But where's the physical evidence of it? It's just not there. This is something that we believe by faith. And so while we can't fully comprehend the presence of God, we believe it. But the Trinity helps us understand it somewhat at least. And I'm thankful for these verses that I can't completely comprehend, but I believe them because otherwise I'd be very confused. Okay? If I believed in a oneness God... I would be very confused about a lot of scriptures. For example, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Sounds like we've got three going on right here. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. So the world doesn't know the Spirit. Okay, but you know him why? Because he dwells in you. That, that's how that's how we're able to know him. So how's the lost person going to know him? How's the lost person going to understand this? They're not. He says, "I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you." So what does he mean by that? Well, because he said, "I will not leave you comfortless." So he, meaning he's teach, telling the disciples here, "I'm going to leave you," but then he says, "But I'm not going to leave you comfortless." I'm going to send you a comforter, but he even refers to that comforter as I. He said, I will come to you. What does he mean? He's doing that through the Holy Spirit. He's doing that in the person of the Holy Spirit. But yet, isn't it all over the Bible that we are waiting for the return of Christ? Well, if Jesus is the Holy Spirit, then what are we waiting for? Why are we waiting for the return of Christ when Christ already came at Pentecost? You know why? Because it was the Holy Spirit that came. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is with us now and we are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We want to see him in the flesh. Now, we've already we're okay. We've already believed 
by, in God by faith. We have believed in Jesus Christ by faith. And, we have, and that was through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. We claim to have Christ through faith because we have the Holy Spirit. But one of these days, we're going to get Jesus Christ in the flesh and we're not going to need the faith anymore. Because it's right there. But understand, everything we know, everything we have, everything we believe through the Holy Spirit, it's all by faith. But we, like the song says, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll at that sixth seal. Just like in Revelation, when Jesus Christ returns, when we see Him, it's not going to be faith anymore because we will have seen Him. And so the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was talking about the coming of Christ after the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is not Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is God. And it's, it's a lot to comprehend. So I don't, I don't get it. Well, you know what? Do you even get your whole body, soul, and spirit like he meant here? Do you completely get that? And I hear people too use this comparison. I've used this comparison, but it doesn't do justice because nobody is like our God. And they'll say, well, Jesus Christ was the flesh. You know, the soul represents the Father and the Spirit represents the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, you could say that's a comparison or whatever, but at the end of the day, that is, that is a bad illustration because it doesn't do justice. Jesus, then that would mean Jesus was not, you know, he didn't have, or that would mean God the Father went to hell. Because Jesus said, thou, thou shall not leave my soul in hell. Jesus had his own soul. There's, there's no doubt about that, but it makes it easy for these people to make Jesus just like us with just a body, soul, and spirit like we have. But you understand God is so much higher above us. There is so much more to Him. And it is this oneness thing. It's making God more like us. And that's not right. We see over and over again in the Bible, there are some things that are just above us. And we don't need to understand everything, but we do need to believe what the Bible says. And so just understand too, all right, for those who are on the... Other side, I'm not talking about like full-blown oneness people, but sometimes people do use bad illustrations. I've given, I, I've given illustrations before, and then later I got thinking about it, and I'm like, that was a bad illustration. You know, that, that, that didn't do justice. And then I always would try to think of the next one. You know, but now I've learned, you know what, no more illustrations. Because there are none. Okay, and you, can, you can try the best you can, but at the end of the day, remember... Some accuser is going to be able to break it down and take it farther than you were trying to take it and then make it look like you're teaching heresy. You know why? Because nothing compares to God. There's nothing like Him. You know, and so just because somebody uses a bad illustration, though, it doesn't make them a heretic. It doesn't make them a polytheist or something like that. If somebody does a bad comparison explaining how God is one, it doesn't make them a full-blown, oneness, modalist heretic either. If they use a bad illustration. And I've, I've heard Trinity people using bad illustrations, making God one. Okay? I, you know, cut people some slack when they're trying to describe something that's indescribable. Just, just cut, them, cut them some slack. And so just because you're not able to answer a specific question about God, because that's what they do. Well, fine, you know, if, this, if this is what you believe, then what about this? You don't have to be able to answer every question about God, seeing that he's so high above us. Seeing that he can't be compared. There are questions about God's body that I definitely cannot answer. I can't. I have no way of comprehending it. I do not believe that God the Father has a physical flesh and blood body like we do. I don't think that. But I believe he has a body. But don't ask me what it's made out of. Don't, please, because I can't answer that question. And if I can't answer that question, it doesn't mean my argument all breaks down and falls apart. No, it just means God is above anything I can comprehend and that I can express. You know, but we shouldn't be surprised. You know, so there are questions we can't answer, but that shouldn't surprise us when we read passages like Revelation 5.1. Yes, when we see a lamb, we see him going and taking the book out of him that sits on the throne? I mean, folks, you can't erase that out of your Bible. 
Yeah, but I, that's two. How can they be one? Hey, the Bible says they are. So they are. And I can't wait. He knows everything about me. But you know what? Me knowing Him, it is high. I cannot attain unto it. But one of these days, I'm going to know Him as I am known, I am known of Him. But until then, I'm going to keep on talking about God. I'm going to keep on studying God. I'm going to keep on, you know, trying to meditate on these things, trying to comprehend it the best way that I know how, only so it will cause me to wonder at God and be amazed by God. And that, I believe that will cause me to glorify God for which He is worthy. And you know what? And that's what, that's what we ought to do. And you know what? I encourage you, keep talking about God. And if somebody gives a comparison, don't call him a heretic. You know, don't don't go slamming somebody out if they try to give an illustration. You know, I've heard the H2O illustration about God. You know, hey, people are just, you know what they're doing? They're just trying to talk about God. That's okay. That, that's okay when they're doing that. And if they mess it up a little bit, you know, they're not a heretic. Don't try to get them up to the altar to come get saved. You know, don't do that to them, all right? You don't, you haven't got it either. And, you know, and I'm okay with that because a God that we could comprehend would not be much of a God. And our God is unlike any other God. And one thing unique about the God that we teach, the Trinitarian God, that's, un, that's unlike any other God. That's unlike Muhammad. That's, un, that's unlike all these other gods and Buddha and all these other gods that are out there. He is unique. And folks, the Trinity, man is not smart enough to come up with something like that. You think about how creative people have gotten with gods that are out there. Nobody's come, nobody could have come up with anything like the Trinity. It's something that is from the Word of God that just blows our mind, and I love it. I think that's great, and we're going to keep on studying it and talking about it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for all Your blessings. We thank You, Lord, for what You have revealed to us. And Lord, it's clear that... It's good that you haven't completely revealed yourself to us because we couldn't handle it, but we pray that we will hang on every little detail about you that you have revealed. We pray that we will meditate on these things, that we will study these things and, and do our best to express them. But I pray at the end of the day, Lord, you'll help us just understand that there's some things we're just going to have to wait until we are like you before we will be able to understand. But in the meantime, just help us to praise you and give you that glory that's due to your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, let's go.